0: learn all about investing in real estate in salt lake city utah with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to salt lake city plus syndicated more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes not all of them specific to salt lake city be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am James Orr, and this is the first live webinar I think I've done in a little bit of of time, and it's the first morning webinar I've done in probably forever. Oh man, it seems like craziness. Uh, I'm going to post into the uh, chat window the link to download the handout for those that are uh, just coming in. Uh, that is a reward for showing up on time. I, I, I just decided that that's how I was going to do it. So, uh, those that arrived for the start time, you guys get the download. Uh, everyone else, I'll put it in the show notes or something like that. You guys can access it later. I plan on publishing this in the podcast. But so today we're going to go over our FHA loans for suckers. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know why I did that maniacal laugh, but that's what it is there. So, here's the background. So uh, FHA loans are a, uh, I don't know, federal housing administration loan. You can get the loan with three and a half percent down. Usually for owner occupant, I'll talk a little bit about some of the variations on that. But they kind of get a little bit of a bad reputation. Um, So whenever you get an FHA loan, whenever you put less than 20 percent down, Um, There is a thing called private mortgage insurance, and I'll go over a little bit more about private mortgage insurance here in the next slide. But FHA loans, they're equivalent of private mortgage insurance. It's like a slightly different name. It's called mortgage insurance premiums, and it's usually higher than what you can get when you do conventional loans. So it's a little bit more expensive loan in that the insurance premiums on it, in case you default, uh, are a little bit higher. And the other crazy thing about FHA loans is that their private mortgage insurance, their mortgage insurance premium never goes away. Unlike a conventional loan where you, when you pay down the loan below 80% or 78%, depending on what the lender tells you and what their actual policy is. But once you pay down a loan past a certain amount with the uh, conventional loan, usually about 80%, then usually the private mortgage insurance premium, the amount you're paying monthly as an insurance premium goes away. However, with FHA loans, they do not go away. The only way to get rid of that that PMI, the mortgage insurance premium or whatever it is, is you got to either sell the property or you got to refinance the property into a different loan to get rid of the PMI and get rid of that large extra monthly payment that you're making in order to get the loan. And as if that wasn't bad enough, mortgage interest rates can be higher for FHA loans, then they can be for like jumbo loans or VA loans, the loans you can get for as a veteran. And as if that wasn't bad enough, there are lower down payment programs than the 3.5% down. Like you can get a conventional 3% down payment, a loan or a VA loan with nothing down or a USDA loan with nothing down. So those are just a couple examples of the loan programs you can get with nothing down or low down that's lower than 39 percent So it's not like this is the ultimate low down payment solution and you got to deal with all this extra nonsense in order to be able to get it. There are programs that have lower down payments that you can still get. So the question that becomes, are FHA loans for suckers? <laughs> well, not so fast. Let's take a look at these issues a little bit closer and some of the benefits of getting FHA loans and see if this really is an option for you if you're still getting a loan, kind of do that. But before we do that, I did promise that I would go over a little bit of what private mortgage insurance is. So this is sort of like a private mortgage insurance primer or primer, depending on whether you're British or American. And I don't even know which one's which. I I bet your primer is, uh, is the British version, but I'm guessing, I really don't know. Okay, so since, a hefty part of the discussion we're going to have about FHA loans involves private mortgage insurance, aka PMI. It's often abbreviated PMI. I'm going to give you a brief introduction about like what it is here. Now, I've taught an entire two-hour class where I, d- I dive deep into what private mortgage insurance is, and I'll probably do another class or two or three on PMI in the future. But I will put a link to the full two-hour PMI class in the show notes, so you guys can kind of access that. Um, So let's go over what PMI is. So this is sort of like the one slide version of the two-hour class. Two-hour class goes into a lot more detail. So, okay, so what is private mortgage insurance and why should you even care? So private mortgage insurance is insurance that you pay for, you as the buyer, you as the person getting the loan that benefits the lender to protect them in case you default. So the the basic idea is this, the lender says, hey, look, I would really like to give you a loan and I really want you to put 20% down and you say, thank you very much, but I don't have 20% down, or thank you very much, but I'm not really interested in putting 20% down. Say, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I don't really want to give you this loan unless you put 20% down. We're unprotected in case you default. If you you get this loan from me, and you decide not to pay, or you end up not being able to pay, or something like that, and and I have to foreclose on you, I don't want to have to come out of pocket in order to pay for you know, these losses I might have when I go to sell the property. So really what I want to do is I want to be protected. And I think I'm well protected if I have a 20% cushion. If you put 20% down, I could sell the property, get out of it probably with a little bit of profit maybe, or maybe just break even when I factor in, you know, all the time it's going to take of you not making payments for whatever time it is and foreclosing on you and hiring attorneys and maybe having to go in there, fix up the property and holding the property and all that other nonsense. I feel pretty well protected if you put 20% down. But you tell me you don't want to put 20% down. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you're willing to insure me that I will not lose money on this deal. And by insure me, I want you to hire a third party company, someone else, not you or me. I want you to hire someone else such that if you default and I have to foreclose on you and I have to get the property back and I can't sell this thing and, and get my money back with the three and a half percent that down payment that you made or whatever down payment is that I want the third party to come in and make me whole, or at least pay me a, a good amount of what I lost back, right? So that's what the insurance is. So you as the borrower are paying a third party company, the private mortgage insurance company, in order to protect the lender in case you default. Now, this can often be paid upfront. You could say, uh, Mr. Insurance provider, I want to pay you $5,000. And the $5,000 is a one-time premium that if I default during the entire life of the loan, you will make the you will make the lender whole, or up to a certain point, they'll, they'll help recover some of the losses. Or Mr. Insurance Company, I wanna pay you monthly until maybe some point in the future where there's enough equity, where there's no, no reason to pay you anymore. So maybe it's a monthly payment for, I don't know, five years, 10 years, however long it takes you to get below 80% loan to value or 70% loan to value or something like that. Or it could be both. You could pay an upfront fee, And you can pay a monthly fee. Those are really the three options for paying this kind of private mortgage insurance. So how much is the private mortgage insurance? Well, there are lots of factors that determine the rate. And I go over a lot of these in the PMI class, the full two hour class, which I'm not doing that. Um, Except with FHA loans, they're usually standardized for everyone. So there's no like, if you have better credit, you get a lower rate or if you, um, you have two people on the loan, you get a better rate. Those are some examples of, of how they vary. But with FHA loans, it doesn't matter. They're usually standardized for everyone, but can vary depending on the term of the loan you choose and the amount you put down. So the PMI, the equivalent of PMI, it's actually mortgage insurance premium, MIP. So if I, by the way, if I say PMI and I'm talking about the FHA loan, it really is MIP. But they're the same mechanically; like they like work the same there. So with this. FHA loan, it can vary depending on the term of the loan. If you do a 30-year loan versus a 15-year loan, for example, um, and the amount you put down. So 3.5% is the minimum you can typically put down with FHA, excluding this whole like down payment assistance thing, which is often coupled in with FHA. But typically, the FHA loan is 3.5% down. So that's the minimum. You can put 3.6% down. You put 5% down. You put 10% down. You put 15% down. You put 25% down with an FHA loan. So you don't have to put three and a half percent down, but if you choose to put three and a half percent down, then it has one type of insurance premium. If you choose to put fifteen percent down, it's a very different insurance plan. Okay, so they can vary, but it doesn't vary based on like your credit score or anything like that with FHA. So when do you typically need to pay? Well, as I talked about earlier, it's less when you have less than twenty percent down. Is typically when the lender says to you, "Hey, I would really like to make you loan, but I require that you put twenty percent down." if you don't put 20% down, then I want you to get this third party involved, this insurance company that will protect me and you're going to pay for it <laughs> because I really want 20% down, but you're telling me I don't want to put 20% down. So you're saying, okay, you say, okay, you have to pay for this insurance premium to protect me in case you default. And there are some exceptions to when you typically need to pay private mortgage insurance in general, not specific to FHA. One exception is the VA loan. So the VA loan is a loan for veterans. If you are a veteran, we just had a, Veterans Day, I think it was that Friday? That's last week, right? I think it was, I think it was last week. Someone to let me know in the chat, that'd be awesome. Or maybe I'm losing my mind, but I thought it was Veterans Day last week. So anyway, if you're a veteran, thank you for your service. And you get to do a nothing down loan program that does not require PMI. But it sort of does require PMI because there's what's called an upfront funding fee that is charged by the Veterans Administrator. Yeah, November 11th, was VA. So thank you, Joy. Um, so the upfront funding fee that is required for a VA loan does essentially the same thing that PMI does. It is a fee that the VA charges in order to kind of administer the program and to guarantee the loan for the lenders making the loan. And if there's a loss, the VA comes in and kind of makes the lender whole. And so technically there's not PMI, but the funding fee sort of acts like PMI. And so once we hear people say, hey, look, is there is there a PMI with VA loans? Well. No, but sort of, maybe a little bit. You know, is that funding fee up front? So that's one example. And the USDA is another nothing download program, but I think they do a PMO. You should check with your lender. All right, so we talked about these uh, three ways that you can sort of uh, pay for it upfront, monthly or both. Now there are three choices as to how to pay it. So you can do it monthly. You can go to the insurance company and say, look, I want to pay you a certain fee monthly in order to have this insurance that protects the lender in case I default. Or you could go and say, I want to pay this one-time upfront fee. But there's this third option, which is lender-paid PMI. Well, how does that work? Lender-paid PMI. It's not like you're going to go and pay monthly. It's not like you're going to go and pay this big upfront fee. What you do is you go to the lender and you say, look, normally you would offer me a loan at 7%. 7%. 7%. That's crazy. It just still shocks me to say 7%. 7%. So you're going to go and get a loan for 7%. If I wanted to pay you extra money, I could buy down my interest rate, right? Like I can go and say, here, how about an extra $5,000 and you give me a loan at 6.875? Lender says, sure, I'll do that for a certain amount of money. And it varies depending on the loan, the loan program and the time and all that other stuff. So I give you a certain amount of money. And now the lender voluntarily says, instead of giving you 7%, I will, I will give you 6.875% if you give me whatever it is, grand. And I says, I will do that. And so you say to the lender, well, how about we do it the other way? How about instead of me coming to the closing with some of these extra closing costs and everything, how about you cover the closing costs or you give me a little bit of money to cover the closing costs and I will voluntarily take 7.125, a slightly higher interest rate. So instead of buying down the rate, you say to the lender, I will actually voluntarily pay a little bit more to get a higher rate and you cover some of my closing costs. You give me like a credit this is the way I think about it. Well, if you think about that, if the lender gives you a credit, if you're willing to take a higher interest rate, couldn't you tell the lender, hey, listen, I'll take a higher interest rate if you pay this third-party private mortgage, in- per- private mortgage insurance person this fee in order to do the loan? And the lender says, yeah, that'll work for me. So I'll tell you what, normally it'd be 7%, that's just arbitrary number, 7% for the loan. But if you pay 7.25%, I will go ahead and give you a credit big enough to be able to pay this lender paid, this upfront mortgage insurance, and we'll we'll call it lender paid PMI. Now, I don't know if the lenders would describe it as this, but mechanically, that's pretty much what's going on, right? I mean, you're you're basically voluntarily taking a higher interest rate. Uh, and, and they're getting a credit back and the lender's basically saying, okay, we'll use that to cover PMI. So we call that lender paid PMI. So you can either do it monthly directly to the PMI provider, the PMI private mortgage insurance company, or you can do it at one time lump, from lump sum upfront fee, or you could do this lender paid PMI, which is sort of like the lender saying, okay, I'll take this thing and I'll do that. Now in the, in the, the PMI class, I go through like you know, pros and cons of each. And in fact, I probably should do a full new class on that like what's the pros and cons of doing one versus the other, but this is sort of a class on FHA loans specifically. And we're not going to go into that, but I should do that class. Note to self. Okay. So, so what's, what's wacky about the FHA loan? We kind of talked about this in general, but for FHA loans, there is both a one-time upfront payment, And in addition, there is an ongoing monthly premium payment. Whoa. So if I go get like a conventional loan, it's usually like one or the other. And and by the way, there's probably some insurance company out there that will take a slightly lower upfront with a slightly lower monthly and do like a hybrid approach. It's possible that those exist. I, I don't know. I'm not like an expert at PMI, right? It's not like I'm the lenders or the insurance companies doing this. But there probably are some that do that. But with FHA, it's required. You have to do the upfront payment, which they call upfront mortgage insurance premium, kind of checks out, and the monthly private mortgage insurance premium, which they call mortgage insurance premium, or MIP for sure, okay? So you have both. The upfront mortgage insurance premium is usually, and it can vary a little bit, I think, 1.75% uh, of the loan amount. You're like, well, if I have to put 3.5% 3, 3. down and this 1.75, it's not really 3.5% anymore, right? It's like, plus 1.75, which if my math is right, is like 5.25 or something like that. So it's not that way. But wait, you can actually finance that. And so instead of having to come up with this 5.25% down instead of the 3.5, you could say, I'll do the 3.5%, but we'll add this 1.75% onto the loan amount so I can finance it. Okay, well, that's interesting. You know, it's bad in some ways that I got paid this upfront fee and it's not the lowest fee I've ever seen, right? It's It's not super, super cheap to do this and I can finance it, okay. And the monthly part of this payment, because you have to do both with FHA, the monthly part is usually 0.85% of the loan balance, 0.85% of the loan balance. So it's almost like getting a 0.85% higher interest rate. So if you were getting a 7% loan, when you factor in what the PMI part of it would be, it's, it's almost like getting a 7.85% interest rate. Whoa, that's much higher than I would have expected. And realize this was 0.85 back when interest rates were three. So before you were going from three to now almost 4% when you have 3.875 or 3.85, right? It, it, it increased by almost a third back then. Now it's like, Well, you're at seven, it increases by 0.85, which is almost the seven, a little bit less of a percentage wise increase, right? For those that like that. Um, It can change if you do a 15 year loan or you put more than 3.5% down. So it doesn't have to be 0.85. And there's, you know, go talk to your lender, they'll give you the details on exactly what it is at the time. But it's this idea that it's usually upfront and monthly. For the FHA, so you're like, that kind of, that kind of sucks. You know, so our, our FHA loans kind of for suckers. I don't know, we'll let's see. Now, what I'm about to tell you are like some of the like requirements for getting an FHA loan. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, like beware. <laughs> I'm not an expert on this. Your lender may come to you and say, yeah, that was true back in November of 2022, but not true today. So these things change over time. Don't like rely on this, this thing and go to your lender and say, hey, James told me on a webinar that is this. You're going to do that. I, he told me that's what it is. You must obey what James said. If only I had that power. If only I had that power. I don't have that power. So they, what I'm about to tell you might be different. Things change over time and from lender to lender. So, you know, you may hear me tell you it's 0.85 or, or whatever it is. Those don't usually change, but the requirements might change because the lender may say, you know, the, the underwriting requirement is this, but we're going to add an additional overlay, an additional requirement that we do on top of these. And so you may want to check those different lenders. So always check with your lender to verify what I'm telling you. Just because one lender you talk to says it can't be done does not necessarily mean that it can't be done. They may not be able to do it, but another lender may not, may, may be able to. Different lenders have different loan programs. Realize that. Not everyone is exactly the same. Different lenders look at things differently and may be willing to do something that all other lenders won't. I usually, I don't find these to be as true, but I, I do find it to happen occasionally where some lender will be like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. It's not a problem. And other lenders have been telling no clients no. We will primarily be discussing what I believe most lenders will do. But as I said, some lenders have these overlays or internal policies that are more restrictive than what the loan program requires. For example, the FHA loan program may require a credit score of 640, but the lender may have an overlay that says they're not gonna originate FHA loans unless the borrower has a credit score of 660. So they can voluntarily choose to do these overlays. And if you went to another lender, they may be willing to uh, originate the loan with a minimum of 640. So just realize that could happen. Okay, so let's talk about rates. How do FHA loan rates compare to some other loans like the 30 year conforming loan or 30 year jumbo loan or 30 year VA loan? This chart goes back to November of 2021. It's put out by Black Knights. Black Knights, where's the name of these guys? Black Knight Holdings. Company, Blacklight Technologies. They're basically a mortgage company, a company that does stuff for mortgage lenders. They're kind of like a behind the scenes thing and they aggregate a bunch of data. And so this shows you historical stuff. And the FHA loan is this blue line that's sort of in the middle most of the time. The, The highest interest rate loan typically is that 30 year conforming loan that we see. It typically is blue. And there are times when FHA loans are a little bit more expensive than those. But historically, you know, recently it seems like the 30 year loans have been a little bit more than the um, than the FHA loans and, and all the other loans, honestly. The jumbo loan tends to be sort of toward the bottom. I can't quite tell the differences between those yellows, but I think the, uh, those are, are typically the bottom ones. The FHA loan is this blue one sort of in the middle here. And then the VA loan tends to be one of the cheaper loans you can get. So you can kind of see the differences in rates between all those. Now, I wanna point out something to you. The FHA loan here, which they said the current rate is 6.875 as of the October numbers, which is the latest one they had. So they said the, uh, the rates for 30 year FHA was 6.85. That does not include that 0.85% mortgage insurance premium. So this conforming loan, assuming you're putting 20% down, does not have a mortgage insurance premium. But the FHA loan, would, and it's not shown on here. So realize the FHA loan is much higher than what these would be. So we're, it doesn't take into account that PMI. Okay. So it might look like it's a lower rate than what you could get for 30-year conforming. But when you add back into PMI, it's not lower. It's, it's, it's like a higher monthly gain. Rate. So like we're beating up on the FHA loan. we saying, hey, look, this might not be that great. And then we're going to talk about why you might still want to do it. So mortgage insurance. I'm gonna show you an email I received from a credit union, local to where I live, it doesn't matter. You can go find your own local credit union. This is not, I'm not offering you this rate. It's not like, oh, James told me I can get this rate. No, nope, that's not what I'm telling you. So you need to go contact your own lender. Rates can vary over time, even throughout the day. Like, you know, some lenders say, oh, in the morning, the rates were this, the afternoon, they're this, they change hour to hour. Uh, based on the loan products, so we talk about, you know, different loans, or whatever it is, your credit score. Although FHA rates don't typically vary based on credit score. That's a plus for FHA, right? Unless you got good credit, then it's not a plus because you're sort of getting lumped in with everybody in this mix. If you have really good credit, then you're sort of being penalized because the rates don't vary with credit score. But if you've got a bad credit score, you're like, oh, it's pretty good. I'm kind of winning here in a little bit. And this does not usually include that monthly private mortgage insurance MIP premium. So back when uh, this happened, November 18th, I guess it was yesterday, the FHA loan, again, I'm not offering you this, the FHA loan loan rate was 625 for a 30-year fixed FHA loan. the And that does not include mortgage insurance premium. So it's going to be over seven with that. And then the 30-year fixed conventional loan was 6.625, which would be lower than what the FHA would be with PMI, but it's higher than what it is without PMI, if think about that way. And um, I guess they don't do VA here, but they have some arms and they have some jumbo loans. Jumbo loan 6.875, and the seven-year arm jumbo is 5.875. So you can kind of get a feel for that. Okay? So I just want to give you a feel for what rates were. So how popular are these FHA loads? You know, is this like 1% of the population's getting them? Like no one's getting them, but we talk about them all the time. Or like 80% of the market's getting them? You know, like what's going on? And so this shows you, same company, Black Knight, uh, put out this originations market monitor report This through October 2022, and it shows you. What percentage of all the loans that all their companies are doing based on the type of loan? And so, conforming, I'll just do this last one. You can go look at historically. You know, these do change a little bit over time. But historically, conforming right now is about 56.4%. So, a little bit more than half of the loans are conforming loans, conventional type financing. 15.8% are non conforming loans. 17%. Are FHA. So not quite a fifth, but a decent amount, like a, a significant enough amount that you could say, hey, this is you know pretty significant stuff. Only 10% of the loans right now are VA loans. And only 0.8%, less than 1% of loans are USDA. And the benefit of the USDA loan, it's another nothing down loan program. You got to buy in a rural area. Although I think some people would be surprised what's considered rural. And you can look up what, if your area is rural on the USDA website, just look up a USDA eligibility map, and it will uh, allow you to type in addresses and find out if that property qualifies for U.S. state loans. And there's some income limitations. You can't make too much, can't make too little. Um, The VA loans, a nothing down loan program, you have to be a veteran. So if you're not a veteran, you can't get that nothing down loan program, but you can get a nothing down loan program with the USDA. Otherwise, you're probably looking at either 3% conventional, 3.5% FHA, 5% conventional or more type of thing. So USDA, very, very small percentage of the loans, less than 1%. VA is 10%. FHA, now 17, a little less than a fifth. Uh, all those loans there. So you get a feel for like how, how big of a the deal these are. One of the advantages though, of these FHA loans is they are easier to qualify for. So uh, conventional loans, the minimum down payment for the conventional loans as of right now, and These loan programs can change, but right now 3% conventional loan. FHA is 3.5%. So more down payment, for FHA than conventional. The minimum credit score to get a conventional loan is 620. With FHA, the minimum is 580, but you got to like have all the stars aligned and have like a whole bunch of extra things in order to get that 580 credit score, right? Everything's got to be perfect. Otherwise, you're probably looking at 640 for the FHA. And that is a much more lenient credit score for getting the FHA. In fact, FHA tends to be the go-to loan if you've had some credit blemishes or issues in the past. If you had a bankruptcy, that's fine. If it was more than two years ago, you can still get an FHA loan. As long as your credit score's gone up, right? You gotta be working on stuff once you've had that bankruptcy. You had a foreclosure, no problem. FHA loans will still do those after three years. Conventional, a little longer, okay? Uh, Can the co-borrower, if you wanna get a co-borrower to help you qualify for the loan, must they be related? With conventional loans, they do not need to be related. With the FHA loans, they must be, must be related to you. And if you're like, hey, like, what's the relation? Can this be like my second cousin? I don't know. Go talk to a lender. They'll tell you that. They'll go look up the guidelines and let you know. Okay. Maximum debt to income for conventional loan, 45%. So relatively standard. For FHA, you can go all the way up to 57% debt to income. So this is a higher risk loan for the lender, right? Because they're willing to accept people that have had bankruptcies relatively recently within two years, um, you know, more than two years, rather. Foreclosures, at least three years ago, um, you know, they'll allow a maximum debt to income, which is significantly higher. So they're kind of like taking on more risk, which is reflected in these extra mortgage insurance premiums and stuff. And then a single family home max loan limit, you can kind of read what those are. Those do change over time. So I'm just not going to read that loud. And can you get... A gifted down payment and closing costs with conventional loans, yes, and with FHA loans, yes. And of course, don't go talk to your lender. They'll give you the actual requirements for like what that is and how to do it and make sure you document it and all that stuff. So really, FHA loans are a little bit easier to qualify. So that's a plus. Kind of so a whole bunch of downsides, but some pluses there. What about credit scores? Well, if you have a 360 to a 499, you do not meet the minimum credit score requirements for FHA. So less than 500, not happening. You have to get creative you have to go do like creative financing buying properties subject to or you know taking over existing loans or doing like a lease option or something like that or you're saving up and buying properties all cash that's another alternative so if you've got less than a 500 credit score that's going to be a challenge to do that or partner with somebody who has a better credit score if you have between a 500 and a 579 the minimum down payments for an fha loan if you have a credit score between those is between 5 to 10%. So you can do that, but it requires more down. If you have a 580 to a 619, 3.5% down payment is required with compensating factors. So this is sort of me telling you that a whole bunch of other things need to align. You need to be kind of like in a perfect situation, have a whole bunch of extra stuff going your way in order for you to be able to do an FHA loan with 3.5% down with a credit score between 580 and 619. However, if you're between 620 and 850, just 3.5%. don't need these extra compensating factors. Or and of course, go verify this with the lender. This is not intended to be like James is qualifying you on a webinar for getting an FHA loan, right? This is sort of giving you an idea of our FHA loans for suckers? I mean, this is, that's the title of the class. So that's the idea. Okay, so average credit scores. So typically, if you're getting a conforming loan, you historically have had a much higher credit score than if you had an FHA. If you think about this, this sort of makes sense, right? If you have a higher credit score, you wanna be rewarded for that. You don't wanna be penalized for having these, you know, better credit scores than some of the FHA loan people that don't get penalized for those. And so you typically choose a better loan program for you, a loan program that has better rates and terms and stuff. And there's some limitations, which we'll talk about here in a second. For VA loans, are sort of in between. You know, they're not quite as high as conforming loans, but they are better than, higher than FHA. And then FHA typically has the lowest credit scores, historically, the people getting those loans. And so they're usually between, you know, 660 and 680. We've been trending down a little bit, you know, as we kind of move through time. And this is going all the way back to November of 2019, okay? All right, here's one of the main reasons, in my opinion, why FHA loans become attractive, especially to investors. You're like, to investors? James, I, t- I thought you told me FHA loans you have to order occupy. Or maybe I didn't tell you that. But you do. You can't use an FHA loan. You can't put 3.5% down and buy a property and not move in. But wait, you just said you, these would be good for investors. You're confusing me, James. Whoa. <laughs> I'm confusing myself. Oh my gosh. Uh, you're confusing me, James. You said, they have to the owner occupy, but how are they good for investors? Oh, this is pretty interesting things. So FHA loans are one of the loan programs that you could do with low down payment and buy multifamily properties. So you could buy a duplex, two unit property, a triplex, three unit property, or fourplex, four unit property with FHA loans with three and a half percent down. So you can go buy a duplex, got to move into one of the units. That's the requirement. But you can go get an FHA loan, put 3% down, move into a duplex, move into a triplex, got to move into one of the three units for the triplex, or one of the units for a fourplex. Okay, So that becomes super interesting, because you can't do these 3% down conventional loans or 5% down conventional loans and buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. You can only buy single family homes with this. And if you're going to do a non-order occupant, if you're going to buy it as an investment property, you most of the time need to do at least, well, there's some exceptions, but usually 20% down. There are some exceptionals where exceptional loans where you can do 15% down to buy a non-owner-occupant investment property. But you got some PMI and the rates are higher and some stuff like that. So one of the advantages of using FHA loans is you can buy duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes in addition to single family homes. So it doesn't have to be duplex, triplex, fourplex. You can do single family homes and then you can also buy duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes, which is similar, by the way, to VA loans. VA loans, you can also buy a single family home condo, townhome, detached house. Plus with a VA loan, you could also with nothing down buy a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex. Again, for the VA loan though, you have to be a veteran. FHA, you do not. So with FHA loans, you don't have to be a veteran. You have 3.5% down, you have those credit score and the other qualifications, you could do these types of loans. And you could use the income from these properties to help qualify you for the purchase. With some exceptions, talk to your lender, it's not like it's universally true. So as a type of creating this presentation, there's not a conventional loan option that allows you to buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex as an owner-occupant for less than 15% down. And there's only one for a duplex for 15%. So if you have 15%, you can buy a duplex and owner-occupy one of the units, but that's the best, lowest down payment you can do if you're doing conventional. That's one of the reasons why this FHA one is so interesting. So to buy a triplex or fourplex as an owner-occupant where you move into one of the units with conventional financing, you're looking at 20% down. To buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex as an investment where you don't move into one of the units, it's 25% down. Unless you're doing FHA. FHA allows you to move in and do 3.5% down. It won't allow you to do any where you do not move in. So FHA does not, is not a loan product for you doing. Non-owner occupant financing. But what if you're buying these single family homes, right? Remember we talked about FHA loans? Like, hey, I want to do this FHA loan, I want to buy a single family home. Can you buy a single family home and use it as investment? Well, you got to live there for at least a year. This becomes that nomad strategy where you buy a property, you move in, you get owner-occupant financing, you get owner-occupant down payments, you move in, you live there for a year. Then after a year, you can move out, keep that past property as a rental, convert it to a rental property, and buy your next property. Then you can repeat this process. You could buy another property to move into, live there for a year, and then convert it to a rental. So you could, let's say you had you know, 20% down, you could buy four properties with 5% down by doing this each one for a year, over four years. Right? Put 5% down, move in, live there for a year, convert that one to a rental, buy the next one 5% down, live there for a year, convert it to a rental. So over the course of four years, you could then buy... Four properties to do that. All right, I've digressed enough. So, being able to buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex as an owner occupant with as little as 3.5%, that's amazing. So maybe not so much a loan for suckers, right? It does have some funky stuff, higher PMI, a little higher down payment than some other loans you can get. But, you know, it does allow you this kind of magical thing with these multifamily properties. Maybe it's not a suckers loan. Hmm, interesting. Interesting, right? However, PMI lasts forever. If you get that conventional loan, not an FHA loan, the conventional loans, and you put less than 20% down, you'd be required to pay that private mortgage insurance until you got 20% of equity. And you contact the lender, you and to chop it off. A lot of times they'll do that. Sometimes you have to pay for an appraisal. However, that's not the case with FHA loans. You do an FHA loan, three and a half percent down, the monthly mortgage insurance premium, MIP, never, never goes away. Even when you pay down the loan, you're about to make your last payment. You owe $2,000 left on the loan. That's the end of it. You have like 99% equity. You're still making a mortgage insurance premium at that point, protecting the lender in case you default. You'd be silly to default. You owed a, oh, whatever it is, $400,000 property, you owe $2,000 on it. Are you going to default, man? I hope not. I hope you would do whatever you could in order to get that two thousand dollars to save yourself from losing that property to foreclosure. But you're still paying a mortgage insurance premium to protect the lender if you don't do that. So Joanne's got a question. She says, "I'd like to ask a question, if I may. We'll see how it goes. And then, by the way, this is this is uh, this is dangerous because I read the questions out loud before I tell you if I can even answer." If I have a conventional loan, will the bank let me know that I don't have to pay PMI anymore once I meet the requirements, when the PMI goes away? No. <laughs> You're going to have to like, figure that out on your own and contact your lender and say, hey, look, I think I've got more than 20% equity and do that. The only time PMI would drop off automatically is when you paid down enough on the loan from the original loan, the original loan balance and the original property value that it would be 20% equity. So they do a calculation. They say, look, you know, when you got this property, it was whatever, it's $400,000. And, uh, you know, you, you, you had, uh, I don't know, 10% of equity in the property." They will do a calculation when you get your loan. They'll say, okay, based on just making regular mortgage payments for the next X number of years, when will you have, I don't know, 22% of equity? And they'll say, okay, at that point, we're going to automatically drop PMI off. But a lot of times property values have gone up while you've owned the property and you paid down a little, a little bit. And so you, you've created 20% of equity. And at that point, with some lenders, most lenders, you can contact them and say, look, um, I think I have more than 20% of equity. I'd like to have PMI removed. And a lot of times you have to contact them and uh, sometimes pay a, an appraisal fee in order to verify the value and stuff like that. So there you go. Awesome. Mortgage is gonna be paid off in eight months. Woo, that's awesome. Congratulations, that's cool. Okay. So that PMI, getting back to FHA stuff. So that PMI, the mortgage insurance premium, MIP, monthly payment that you have for mortgage insurance with FHA loans, that does not ever go away, which is crazy. So how do you get rid of it? got to sell the property. Probably don't want to do it. Well, maybe you do. I probably should do a class on that. Probably should do a class on when to sell a property, do some calculations of what return you're getting. Yeah, I got to do a class on that. Anyway. So you get to the point though, you got to either sell the property to get rid of it, or you got to refinance and get into a different loan that no longer has PMI. Because now you've got 20% of equity or more. And so you go do that and you refinance into a, you know, another owner-occupant loan if you're still living there, or a non-owner-occupant loan, investment property loan. If you're not living there, and you can do that. Um, if you happen to do an FHA loan, where instead of putting 3.5% down, you put more than 10% down, the mortgage insurance premium does go away after 11 years. So if you the the mortgage insurance premium not going away is an issue with 3.5% down, anything less than 10%. If you put more than 10% down, then MIP does go away after 11 years. So something to be considered, something to consider. The other issue with FHA loans is, and there are some exceptions to this, but typically you can only have one FHA loan at a time. There are some weird exceptions. So if you thought to yourself, James, this is amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. FHA loans are not for suckers. This is awesome. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a 3.5% down fourplex, live there for a year, move out of the one unit, go buy another 3.5% down fourplex, live there for a year, and I'm going to do this 10 times. And I'm going to have 40 doors after 10 years. This is amazing. Well, not so fast. You can only get one of these FHA loans. There's some weird exceptions like if you move more than 100 miles away, that you can get another one, or if you inherit a property that's got an FHA loan on it, so you might be able to have two at the same time. There's some weird stuff like that, but for the most part, you're not getting ten of these loans. You know, if you're trying to do that kind of like optimal strategy thing, and you have like you know I got VA loans and I got uh, FHA loans because the VA loans can also be the duplex, triplex, or fourplex, and the FHA loans can be duplex, triplex, fourplex, and you know you're dating somebody. Well, maybe. You get an FHA loan on your first fourplex, your spouse or or your fiance gets a FHA loan on their next fourplex. And, and then you you also have your VA benefits. So you get the VA benefit by another fourplex after a year living in the FHA one. And then your spouse is also better and they get the other one. So you can you can acquire some properties this way by getting creative, um, but it's not going to be 10 in a row <laughs> with VA or FHA. Right. So it's going to be hard to Okay, what was I going to say? So it'd be hard for you. I basically about So it be hard for you to nomad, you know, doing the sequential buying houses as owner occupants moving there, living there for a year, and then converting to rental with more than one FHA loan. So, um, which makes it hard to buy more than one multifamily property as a nomad. It's not impossible, but it's much more difficult. Much more difficult. Um, and under and some underwriters like if you're going to get a loan from somebody and you live in a single family home that you live in a really nice house, you're like, hey, I just found out about this messing strategy. I'm going to move out of my million-dollar house and I'm going to go buy these $100,000 um, know, duplexes somewhere. Yeah, the lender may balk at that. They may say, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to do that. Um, and they may give you some pushback. The underwriter may say, we don't believe you. Hey, you're going to go move into this property. And uh, they may say, we're not willing to do that loan. So. Realize that if you live in a single family home, the underwriter, the person who kind of underwrites the loan, may give you some pushback over you trying to buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex um, in general, not specifically to an FHA loan. So just realize that that's potentially problematic. Maybe you get lucky and the underwriter's like, yeah, that's cool. But you heard it here first. it's, It's actually a hard thing. Okay. I probably do need to do a whole class on this. But I'll give you the short version. All right, so imagine for a minute that you live in a market where cash flow sucks. It's basically no cash flow on any property. It, it covers itself, but it's zero, like zero positive cash flow. It covers all the expenses and maintenance and property management, all the other stuff you're doing there, your mortgage payment, but there's no extra cash flow for you. So you have, you have no cash flow on this property. And let's further assume that the property does not go up in value. You buy a $100,000, $400,000, million dollar property. And guess what? 30 years from now, it's worth exactly the same. Still worth $100,000, $500,000, a million, whatever I said. You know, it's the same price property. So you have no appreciation. You have no cash flow. And I'll even say the tax benefits you get and cash flow net out to zero. So you got some tax benefits from owning this property as a rental. Let's just assume that that and cash flow are a wash, like zero. You're, you're not making any benefit from that. So, you get no appreciation, no cash flow, no tax benefits, but you do get the paying down on the loan. So, you're making ground. You put up whatever it is, 3.5% down payment on the property. And at the end of 30 years, the property is paid off. So, you went from a 3.5% down payment to now you own 100% of this property. Even though the property didn't go up in value, you now own this without a loan. So, you, you made some ground on your investment. Your investment, the 3.5% they put down, whatever it was, let's call it, a, let's call $15,000. $15,000 you put down as three and a half percent down payment. That now is worth $300,000 at the end of 30 years. So your your $15,000 grew to be a $300,000 paid off property, even though the property value didn't go up and you made no cash flow. on And honestly, after the property is paid off, you probably have cash flow at that point. But let's assume there's no cash flow over the entire period that you own it. What's the return you're getting by putting that three and a half percent down and then having a Paid off property at the end, even though the property didn't go up in value. Well, it turns out that return is 11.823%. So you got an 11.823% return, compounding annual growth return on your money for that entire 30-year 30, 30 period. Well, that's interesting. What, what kind of returns might you get in the stock market? I don't know. 5, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, depending on who you believe and what numbers you believe and how that all works out. And that's, that's not guaranteed, right? That's fluctuating. You don't really know what the return is. I mean, a lot of us have seen our stock market accounts kind of go down the last, I don't know, a couple of years. So you have this variable rate return, but which might be, I don't know, probably 8%, give or take, I mean, I don't really know what it is. But now I tell you, look, you put 3.5% down this loan and I'm assuming property values don't go up at all. You got no cash flow. you got no tax benefits. This is just paying down the debt on the property. You get 11.8% return by getting this FHA loan. Well, that doesn't seem like a sucker's deal. You're getting 11, almost 12% return on your money by doing this FHA loan, by having a paid off property. That's pretty cool. What if you put 5% down? You did a conventional loan. You you put 5% of the property value down and at the end of 30 years, you have a paid off property. That's 10.5% return. So FHA loan, because you put less down and you still have the same paid off property at the end, the same value of the property at the end, that's paid off. It's a little bit better return. So 10.5% if you put 5% down. If you put 20% down, it's only a 5.511% return, about 5.5%. If you put 25%, that's about 4.7. So the more you put down, the lower your return is on that down payment as it grows to a paid off property. So an FHA loan with a relatively low amount down is 11.8%. When did an 11.8% return on your money become a bad deal? When did that happen? I didn't get the memo. <laughs> if you only put three percent down, you got a conventional loan with three percent down. That's 12.399. So if you really factor in that you probably have some appreciation, property values probably went up over 30 years. It's my guess. It could be that you know have property values go up, but they probably did. And you probably had some tax benefits for 27 and a half years. If you're renting out the property, you get that depreciation benefit. And you probably had a little bit of cash flow. I mean, maybe not upfront, maybe it's negative upfront, but over time, as rents sort of creep up and your mortgage payments fixed and your rents kind of creep up a little bit, maybe you go from having negative cash flow, depending on your market, to maybe you have some positive cash flow. And as it gets further and further out, maybe you have more and more positive cash flow. So maybe you do have some cash flow, but as a baseline, you get that 11.8% return. Not bad, right? Not, not a bad thing at all. So in conclusion, so where I wrap things up. Here's some of the downsides to doing FHA loans. They have higher private mortgage insurance. It's typically higher than what you can get if you got conventional loans. There are lower than 3.5% down payment options available with other loan products. There's like nothing down USDA, nothing down VA, 3% down conventional probably some other local loan products you yeah. have. So there are lower down payment products available. So it's not the lowest down payment loan product. They have both the upfront mortgage insurance premium and that ongoing monthly mortgage insurance premium. And you don't get any benefit for having higher credit scores that will lower your PMI. So in those ways, it's kind of sucking, right? You got upfront, you got monthly, and it doesn't go away. And oh, I didn't say it doesn't go away, but if your credit score doesn't impact it. It's not like it gets better if you have better credit. And that private mortgage insurance lasts for the life of the loan. doesn't go away once you get to 20% equity. And sometimes there's a higher, what I call effective interest rate. We take the interest rate and you add in that monthly PMI. um, It's it's higher in in most cases, I would say. And you can typically only have one FHA loan at a time. There's some exceptions, but typically you can only have one. And to top that all off, you have to move into the property. Even if you're buying a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, you got to move in. So those are kind of the downsides, the cons of getting FHA financing. But what are the pros? Well, you can buy multifamily properties, duplexes, triplex, fourplex. You also buy single family homes. but you could buy those with three and a half percent down. Well, that's pretty good. Being able to buy a investment property, duplex, triplex, or fourplex with three and a half percent down. Maybe over time, the income from the The other three units, if you buy a fourplex, can help offset or completely eliminate the amount you're paying yourself. That'd be ideal. It's I think this is a huge plus for like nomads who are buying that property, moving in for a year, and then buying the next one, or house hackers who are kind of like renting out part of their property. You can get these FHA loans with lower credit scores than conventional. You can have higher debt to income. If you've got a high debt-to-income ratio, you still allow you to qualify for these. It's also easier to get with a recent bankruptcy or foreclosure. I think it's two years for bankruptcy and three years for foreclosure. It has to be that long away from when you did it. And this is often the loan combined with down payment assistance programs. So a lot of times, if you have down payment assistance in your local market, they're combined with FHA loans in order to do this. So for those reasons, there's are some pros. So I don't know. What do you think? The question is, Are FHA loans for suckers? Definitely has some downsides, definitely has some upsides. What do you all think? Anyone want to participate? Tell me what you think. Otherwise, that is the end of the presentation. No one wants to participate. Or people are typing real stuff. Yeah, James says upside when you're buying multiple properties. Yeah. Could be for acquiring the multifamily properties. Yep. Could be a little plus. And it could refinance out of the loan. Sure. Yep. If you can go buy one, do that, and then refinance out. The tricky part about refinancing out would be trying to qualify if you've moved into a single family home in between. But yeah, sure. You could do, do you want it to like move into a fourplex, live there until you have enough equity to refinance out of the loan? And then use your FHA benefit again in order to buy your next fourplex. Sure, you can do something like that. Yeah, Tony says in our marketplace there's a limit on the FHA loan limit, and it's hard to buy a fourplex with that loan limit. Sure, absolutely true. And so you got to look at your market or be willing to buy, uh, I don't know, lower priced, which sort of implies lower quality product. Uh, James says, I've seen exceptions, life changing event or distance from current home. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I mentioned this, that there are exceptions to being able to have more than one. Absolutely. Go talk to a lender about those. But I I think for most people, you shouldn't plan on this, right? You shouldn't say, hey, my loan plan is to have three life changing events. Maybe not plan that. Exactly. Exactly. Laughing out loud. Exactly. But, you know, if it happens, yeah, absolutely. It gives you an opportunity. You know, you get transferred for your job and you're going to move into another city. Well, now you can start over and do another FHA loan there and keep the other one in the other market where you live or something like that. Yeah, if those things happen, great. If they, if you're planning on those things happening, kind of weird. Helen says, can you get an FHA loan if you already have a house you bought cash or even if you have a mortgage? Yep. Sure can. Sure can. You can get more than you can get an FHA loan when you have another mortgage on something else or a few other things. Tony says, "I was able to remove PMI on I won't say the name of the neighborhood property, and um, I won't say the city. Could be removed too, but there is a two-year seasoning time frame." So he's talking about how he bought a property and we saw fantastic appreciation and a little bit of debt pay down during that time, and he almost very very quickly had enough so that he could get rid of PMI. But they said, "Hey, look, there's a minimum amount of time you had to wait for this PMI. We won't, we won't remove it with less than two years." So I think that's what he's he started saying those say things. Joanne says, "Thank you for this webinar. I had no idea that you, I had no idea who you were, but <laughs> we listened to the podcast." Oh my gosh! I, I guess that's funny to me because I know myself. I'm like, I know who I am, but I guess other people, <laughs> other people don't know who I am. Oh boy, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're gonna listen to the podcast. Joanne. Thank you very much. I appreciate it just discovered us for the first time. That's great. Helen says FHA possible if you have a business and not a job. So you only have rental income. Again, you want to talk to a lender, but my understanding is if you have tax returns and you can prove that you can qualify for the loan, they will allow you to do it. But again, talk to the lender and, and I would talk to you if, if one lender tells you no, I would talk to you like at least a couple more to make sure that they're not just, you know, choosing not to do those loans and telling you that they can't do them when, uh, you know, another lender can. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a lender. I don't know all the underwriting guidelines. They're they're available. They're posted online. It's a government-backed loan product. So you can go look it up if you want to. Or the easier route is pick up the phone and call a lender and say, hey, here's my situation. Can I get the FHA loan? And they'll, uh, they'll they'll do it for you. So. Cool. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the webinar. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, our FHA loans for suckers. Insert maniacal laugh here. So. That's all I got for you. Um, I will talk to y'all soon, be on the lookout. I probably will do some more webinars. So I'll probably do some more of these in the future. Oh, Carlos, buddy, good to see you. Yeah, you're welcome, Tony. It was amazing. (laughs) That's great. You're welcome, James. Very good webinar, I appreciate that, yeah. You are very welcome, Helen. Who said they don't know who you are? You're terrific. I appreciate that. That's really cool. Yeah, have a great Thanksgiving. to all. I appreciate that. You're welcome, Ben. Have a good weekend to you as well. Uh, Good to see you all. I will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye for now. End of the webinar. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Salt Lake City is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Salt Lake City that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast. We'd love to add more value to our listeners by having you assist our investors by sell, and finance their real estate investments, see the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities.